1: Until yesterday I thought that I thought that I was never gonna see you again. Why are you here? I finished. Who's that? He's the asshole that ruined my life.
2: Welcome to Station Eleven, the podcast, a show that dives deep into the HBO Max limited series Station Eleven.
3: Every episode will be joined by a member of the cast and crew of the show and reveal special behind the scenes insights into production and the process. I'm Patrick Somerville, creator, showrunner and executive producer of Station Eleven.
2: And I'm Angelica Jade Bastien. I'm a writer and pop culture critic for New York Magazine site Vulture. Patrick and I are going to sit down with the many collaborators and artists from Station 11 and talk about storylines, themes, and characters.
3: We're also going to talk about what it's like to tell a story about a pandemic while living in a pandemic.
2: In this episode, we're speaking with not one, but two pretty amazing and talented guests, the visionary director Hiro Murai and the multi-talented actress and artist Danielle Deadweiler, who portrays Miranda Carroll on Station 11.
4: I'm a person who just trusts And I had to just go with what was happening. I felt a kind of maniacalness.
5: Yeah, you know, it just felt like we just had a butterfly net out in a hurricane and just trying to grasp, like, moments that felt real. Hey,
3: Angelica. I'd really love to hear what you thought of episode 3 of Station Eleven. It's called Hurricane.
2: I was really fascinated with how we watch this journey with Miranda as a character, from her time in Chicago and getting a new job in logistics, through her love story with Arthur, as well as the very heartbreaking way her story ends while she's on a work trip in Malaysia and the pandemic hits. It's fascinating to watch a woman who has always built escape hatches in her life be unable to escape.
3: This is the episode where we we meet a character we only kind of glimpsed in episode one, riding the train um, and showing up to drop off a mysterious graphic novel to Arthur. And obviously, they had some kind of past together, but 101 doesn't really show you much about who they were to each other. This is sort of the origin story of Miranda Carroll, the origin story of the graphic novel. And, you know the the show's named after the graphic novel. We don't we don't know who the asshole who ruined Arthur's life is really yet, but we're going to get to know the artist who came into Arthur's life in this episode.
2: Totally. And there's lots of very tense scenes in this episode, whether it's watching the degradation of Arthur and Miranda's relationship with him pointing out that she's actually never really present when he wants her to be. Or it's her saying the most badass toast at, a, at an uncomfortable-ass dinner <laughs> burn, party.
3: Burn every parasite motherfucker alive.
2: <laughs> I have a toast.
3: No, man. no.
6: I stood looking over the damage, trying to remember the sweetness of life on Earth. I was late. Or you were early. Either one, same mission. Burn every parasite
2: motherfucker alive. Oh! Hey, who hasn't wanted to say some shit like that at a dinner party? Especially because that, that white girl that was sitting near her got on my last black ass nerves. <laughs> I was like, who the hell talks like
3: this? That's a kind of iconic moment from the novel, and we really wanted to get that one right. Those, we're, we're journeying through time. We're doing our best version of how to know a whole life in one episode of TV without like falling into the biopic trap. And Miranda Carroll is a complicated human being and a very important one for our story.
2: Definitely. And you get to see very different facets of her life in this single episode. You get to see how she works in a professional setting as someone who doesn't consciously identify as an artist, even if she is definitely an artist As well as her love story with Arthur and its arc from their very intriguing meet-cute on a cold Chicago evening to being married and also the fractures developing in their relationship. Burning down his pool house. Yeah, I've wanted to burn down a man's house um, (laughs) items and belongings before many a time.
3: Miranda just keeps doing things you want to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think I'm in love with this character, like truly. She Tell me. is a super fascinating Black woman. She's a super fascinating character, period. But as a critic and a viewer and a Black woman living in America, we usually don't get characters who are this dynamic and who buck against stereotype in such a dramatic and rich fashion. And I'm so curious to hear from you, Patrick. Was Miranda Black in the novel? Or was this something developed for the show? And can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Well, like Arthur Leander, Miranda was from a very small Canadian island uh, in the novel. And uh, I think by all accounts was a white character. And yes, to answer your question, there's a lot of intentionality in making this specific change for Miranda. And making her origin story and where she comes from very different than the book. I think there are a lot of reasons, but it goes back to the writer's room. Shannon Houston, uh, the amazing writer who wrote episode 103, played an incredibly large role in the early development of Miranda as a character. And Shannon, I think, It just was interesting to her for a number of reasons to talk about what it's like to be a Black woman and a working artist in America today. And I think there's an intersection point between working artists and people who are systemically marginalized from the workplace in in America generally. And I think if you throw those two together into a character, it was getting into a zone that is a story that doesn't often get told about what it's like to be a working Black artist and a woman in America today. And I think all those were very appealing to Shannon, who brought incredible insight in the early days. And then if you layer on top of what Shannon brought with what Danielle brings to the role as an artist and a writer and an actress and someone very interested in telling a, a nuanced story of a human being and not fall into the traps of identity that television often does with Black women. And then if you add Hero to that mix on top of it, who has been working on the most incredible show with regards to insights about race in America today. I think what you get is a female character that feels real, I hope, energetically, mm-hmm. feels relatable in, in ways that you just haven't seen before.
2: Exactly. And, you know, Miranda is a very important linchpin in many ways. If you do not get her character right, the show will not work as a whole in my opinion. And what I loved about Miranda was just how slippery she is. She's a very tricksy character. Every time you think you have a handle on her, she rips a rich laugh out of her mouth. And you're like, oh, this woman has so much beneath this calm surface that she projects.
3: Yeah. She's funny at times you don't think she's going to be. She is cutting at times when you don't think she's going to be. And she's loving at times you don't think she's going to be. But what was important for episode three is by the end of it, you see all those things.
2: Definitely. Obviously, her graphic novel has has a life of its own outside of her. And I'm curious to hear your perspective as an artist on this topic about whether art needs an audience and how artists don't even have control over their own legacies in a lot of ways.
3: Miranda, I love Miranda because... If you ask her, if she's into logistics. <laughs> how do things get from point A to point B? Is sort of the question that is the conundrum for her. And the fact that she wasn't doing a thing to make those people at the dinner party happy made me love her even more. She's doing it for other reasons. But ultimately, I don't think it's true for anyone to say, I'm not doing it for someone else when you're making art. Like, all I think of when I think of artists, trying to communicate really well. <laughs> like, yeah. Really, really specific high-level communication and active communication, summoning the thing you're trying to say. And if you accept that, then you accept that you're trying to say it to somebody. Mm. You know? For Miranda, her pro- the scale of her project was so gigantic, it kept destroying her relationships with other people. Mm. I think anyone trying to make something today in our system with how little reward there is financially and how low probability there is of being okay as a maker of things. I don't know. I have to, is really my answer in the end. Yeah, It's hard.
2: I totally get that. I mean, art is all about connecting, you know, to others as well as parts of ourselves we don't always know how to make sense of. So we put it in something else. And I think that's a good note to end on. Why don't we get to our conversation with Episode Three's director, Hiro Mirai, and the actress, Danielle Deadweiler.
3: You've seen Hiro Mirai's impeccable and visionary direction in Atlanta, Barry, Guava Island, and Childish Gambino's This Is America.
2: And while you may recognize Danielle Deadweiler from The Heart of They Fall, Pea Valley, and my personal favorite, Watchmen, she also plays Miranda Carroll on Station Eleven, the driven, smart, and mysterious woman who created the graphic novel Station Eleven. I'm so happy to welcome Hero and Danielle. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having us.
5: Thanks for having us. I'm so
3: excited to have both of these people here because... I think of the inner workings of developing the show on the ground um in the early early days, and just conversations between the three of us, Danielle and hero, trying to figure out how to how to make this character how to tell this story and Danielle came late hero, right I mean mm. we didn't have our Danielle until months into prep, and pretty it was getting a little scary <laughs> <laughs>
5: about, yeah about who yeah
3: who Miranda was going to be, and I think we knew. Somehow the show depended on getting Miranda right early on. And I think we both knew that we, hadn't, we couldn't quite find the right energy. But maybe Hero should talk about what it was like looking for Miranda. Or if you, what were you thinking around October and November and prep when we were heading for the cliff and uh, still trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to do episode three? Heading
5: towards a cliff. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I remember it being extremely difficult because, you know, I think Miranda is she has to be so many things for the show. But you also have to believe that she's a real person. She's this sort of introvert artist who creates this whole world, but also, you know, has this whirlwind romance with the movie star and. You know, she she just has to be so many things. And there are no versions that we saw on the tapes that felt like a fully fleshed real person. You know, I think she needs to be sort of someone who has like a big internal life. And, you know, and I, I think that's a really hard thing to convey on film because it's so internal, you know. And there's something about, Daniel. I've never even told you this, Daniel. There's something about your read that just made me go like, Oh, there's like a whole life in there that I don't really understand, but I want to learn. But I would say here, we didn't quite know what to give the actors.
3: We didn't know who she was. We were looking for an energy. Mm-hmm. And Danielle read once and was got a little like lost in a big sea of stuff. And we had written better stuff by then and sent a new scene to Danielle. And then that, when that came back, that's the moment all of us were like, holy shit. Mm. And that was a version of the boardroom scene. But I don't know what you did, Danielle. When we saw it, it was instant. It was finally that yes. But Danielle, what, what was it like
4: from your side? It was a storm. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's, it's the experience of literally being Rem- Miranda. I, I was looking through my notes. It's like, oh, she is finding this interesting stillness amidst all of this madness. But that's, that's kind of how it felt. Like... You know, just thinking about like every inch of the movement of that last speech, it went through a lot of iterations, so many different gestures. And so having to audition all those different times, I I was able to find it more and more with each note that was given for each uh, read. But yeah, it was madness and it was beautiful.
0: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well.
5: in the span of what 30 years yeah 20 years yeah, mm-hmm. and this character makes drastic changes you know from when you first find her it's just if it, you're right like it the process felt like uh kind of like what how the episode feels which is seemingly chaotic but it just all kind of like fell into place as we were going along
4: It's a weird buoyancy to it, though. It's like floating, you know, in this madness that comes to be significant for Miranda's experience. And so you just go with the tide. You go with whatever's happening. And I think that's how it was for me. Go with it, right? And if you don't, if you are resisting, then it it can get even more... You know, disastrous.
3: I'm a big fan of disaster.
4: Yeah, who isn't? Who doesn't
3: yeah. like
2: a little disaster in
3: their <laughs> life, right? Well, I want to know what Danielle means when she says stillness amidst chaos. Like mm. it, that, because that feels so right to me about Miranda. Yeah, but there was some m- mystery inside of what you were playing that I wanted to know more about, but I didn't understand. That was always true, because you brought something to Station Eleven that we didn't have. I just want to know about it now. I'm a fan. <laughs>
4: I'm not gonna give you everything. You don't have to give me all of I'll it. I'll give you stuff. <laughs> like no, we like like you. We we started talking about like how I'm a performance artist and a visual artist and those kind of things. Like Danielle, not things, Miranda. Danielle, not but Miranda is right. Like you know, all those things started to weave into you know uh, appreciate each other. You know, somebody going through a certain kind of chaos I had a certain kind of personal chaos moving through it. Right at the time, and you realized that oh, you there's really literally nothing you can do. You can just go with what is happening day to day. And I was reading about like cause at the top of January, the pandemic started happening, right? Like, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready. I'm in this chaos of learning Cantonese. And I'm like, <laughs> like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, oh well, I'm in it, right? <laughs> and so you're learn- I'm learning this, dealing with the own personal stuff, trying to build this kind of um uh the-, the work that I do logs my own interiority, right? Like, I get that, right? And so None of that was like completely clear in the world of Miranda quite yet for me. So I, when we're there, I'm just going back to my apartment every every night and putting puzzle pieces together, literally, and logging through everything we're trying to uh, to to dig into. Um, yeah, I got crazy, crazy notes and drawings of like what the heck we're supposed to be doing. I, I have Pablo Neruda's Madrigal written in winter. It's like, I, I figured that was like her, just kind of, poem for Arthur. Danielle,
2: I'm really fascinated by your acting process and hearing how you're kind of pulling from so many different mediums to kind of understand a character. Was this unique for the Miranda character, or is this just a part of your usual process when crafting a character?
4: It varies. Sometimes it's straightforward. and in, th- in this case, it needed multiple media to birth itself. I mean, that's what the feeling was. It was so much swirling around. I ne- You needed to pull from a lot of different spaces. I mean, Hero and we were giving me, you know, notions of, like, Carol Walker as an artist, right? And then uh, um, hmm. Patrick is sending me certain, you know, poetry. And then she's a visual artist. And so I'm like, I was drawing that stuff. That I didn't draw everything. But, like, I, you know, when we were doing some of the scenes, I was like, oh, I can draw this. Like, I, I can sketch. I can do those kinds of things. So just... Finding fragments and putting them together, I think that's what Miranda's life was. And I think that's what we all kind of experience. Mm. And then that's what you experience in going through this fucking pandemic and this, you know, this life in general. Well,
3: that's also what episode 103 is.
4: Yeah, yeah. It kind of
3: had to be fragments, but you, there has to be intentionality to what the fragments are and, and the sequence of them, right? For it to make sense. Mm. Speaking of injecting a lot into Station 11, I would say, Hero, I think your take on episode 103 is what made episode 103 make sense we we talk about it slowly falling
5: into place in your head and how how you made sense of it we just knew that if we got enough pieces we could kind of craft something interesting you know and I I think the episode wanted to be that like it didn't want to be this sort of rigid three-act structure or five-act structure and you know it resolves at the end of this and you know it just felt like we're just kind of like had a butterfly net out in a hurricane and just trying to grasp, like, moments that felt real and and truthful and it, a tone that we wanted to capture. And so that was the process for me shooting it, you know, and I, I think a lot of it was watching Danielle kind of navigate uh, these scenes and how she reacted. You know, I, I, we shot that pitch Scene very early. Day three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We shot that very early <laughs> in our block, which is crazy if you think about it. Because that it's is madness. like that's the scene. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, but that was the kind of the thing, right? Like you do it, and then you go, like, okay, that felt really right. So this is kind of a pillar for the episode now. So how do we get to that? And how do you construct this person around this moment that we captured?
4: You all seem
6: to know that the world is coming to an end. So, it's a good reminder that nothing we have done or do matters at all. But it does. The man I loved died last night and. The man I love. Died last night. and I went to work. <laughs> the man. I loved, died last night. and I went to work instead.
4: <laughs> and I'm here. With you and you
6: and you. You don't matter at all, Mr Wang. Your company is falling into the sea, so I have to ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't I at that play? Why wasn't I with my love when he died? (laughs) Jim.
3: Hero, I think we we have a good dynamic in terms of like, when we're both feeling a thing that no one else understands why we're feeling it, we went and got it. There truly isn't a way to say it sometimes. Sometimes you just got to hope, show up with the scripts that were written at 4am, hand them to Danielle, say, does this make sense to you? And then look at her, look at you and not say a word back and turn and walk <laughs> away <laughs> and go to do rehearsal. And then guess what? She rips out the first
5: take and makes
3: every single person in the room start bawling.
4: Yeah, you gotta go through the darkness.
5: Yeah, you know. Yeah, Daniel, how did it feel for you when we jumped into that boardroom scene so early <laughs> in our shooting?
4: Uh, no, I, I, I felt fine, and I—that's not very descriptive because. I'm a person who just trusts. I trust you. I trusted Patrick. And I just knew that, you know, I had to just go with what was happening. I felt a kind of maniacalness, right? Like as many different ways as we were searching in the process of doing that scene, you know, which I completely and utterly love because you changed it again when you added the Cantonese to it. Thanks.
3: (laughs) Hey, that's the one line that didn't change in the whole show. (laughs) Because <laughs> we knew you we couldn't change it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
4: here's, here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more, Danielle. Like, I'm like, man, I, I really got to get into language. But no, it felt, I felt loose. It was just, you know, allow yourself to flow with it. You know, you are losing your mind in a way. You're losing your love. You're losing um, yourself. And you you have to.
3: That sounds scary.
4: It's perilous. That shit is maddening. You We are 20s Miranda in that moment. Like, everything is converging unto itself and it's whirling. You're trying to tighten the rope and you can't because it has to break and then you might get it back, but it's not going to ever be the same.
3: You're making me think of boats and hurricanes. This episode is called Hurricane. Mm-hmm. And that was another kind of intuitive leap. And it, it refers to what we're getting to understand about Miranda's backstory. Um, and you find out more about it later in the show, but... Swirling, wild, chaotic energy that's both destructive and and maybe creative. You can go through it and ride it, but you can go through it kind of on this steady line. I feel like during the pandemic, I've been both of those things at different times. Flailing, and then sometimes, like, I know my destination.
2: Sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're both flailing while you also have in mind, I know what I'm working towards, but wait, how do I get from A to B again? I don't even remember how to function anymore. Mm-hmm. But one thing I really wanted to ask Hero, you know, about the boardroom scene and that monologue, is just to hear a little bit about what direction you gave Danielle, because that monologue she gives is so crucial to understanding her character, to getting a window into her, and also a window into her emotional life in a very clear way. I wanted to hear a little bit more about directing that and how it kind of shaped up the way it did.
5: Well, Daniel probably can remember this better than I can. I, I can only <laughs> I tell you what I think, I think I said to you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's but it, it's it's a crazy thing to ask an, uh, an actor to do, right? Because it's like it's this character who sort of cl- plays everything close to the vest this whole episode, and at that moment, everything just comes spilling out, right? And it has to be tragic and heartfelt but in a way that doesn't feel contrived and kind of, you know, with humor and understanding the absurdity of the situation. You know, it is a funny scene also. And so I remember talking to Danielle like this is something that you're coming to realize in the moment but you're also just sort of like exasperated and kind of, you know, you're finding the absurdity of the whole situation at the same time and, But also, you know what I mean? It's like like five different things. And in a way, it's like a very unfair thing to do to an actor where you're just like, these are the five disparate things I need you to hit to convey in this very, (laughs) you know, long monologue. And, you know, the amazing thing about Danielle is she just sort of like, not only kind of intuited like what that is supposed to feel like, she so technically kind of carved out all the moves in that scene, you know? It's just going from this, you know, very sort of stoic uh, boardroom talk to this sort of like crumbling to this and going inside and then getting frustrated and going outside and then starting laughing. And you know what I mean? Like, these are all the things that I was asking for out of Danielle, but she just found a way to connect the dots somehow and kind of ride that in a very like genuine way. You know, it's it's a mark of like an incredible performer, honestly. If you look at that script, if you look at that
3: speech on paper, it does not make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remember, I, 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 I wrote it, I wrote it like at 3.45 in the morning the night before. And, and the, 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 the script was going through some changes uh, in, the, in the early days, and that, which is very hard on the crew, uh, because everything that's been prepped for months is suddenly out the window. But emotionally, we were prepped.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: So when the words and the structure changed around it, something true remained through that chaos that we knew already about what the show was, and that we had to hold on to that a couple of times. You said when you were talking here, oh, carve. Out, you said the word carve out, uh, and then uh, riding. And I was like, I, every time I think of this scene, I think of skiing uh, for some reason because it's like uh, in Cantonese. Uh, let me bend your ears about a few new supply chain and drone concepts. Right. And then you all know <laughs> um, by now that the world seems to be ending.
4: You you talk about that.
3: Yeah. But then then you say and it's a good reminder <laughs> that nothing we do or have ever done matters. But it does. <laughs> that's like,
5: <laughs> sh- 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 that's, three, that's three moguls. It does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But you know what, though? I think that's what makes that scene work so well, is that what she's saying on paper feels a little fragmented, but you get to see her kind of make the turns internally. There's a moment in that in that monologue, it's my favorite part, where she just stops talking and she's like, making these noises that kind of sound like crying, but it's also like her sorting out her, her emotions, you know?
3: Yes, it's a hmm, hmm.
5: Yeah, hmm, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like it is feels that, like is a, that it? Like a, it feels like a ramp up to a cry, you it's know? It's a cry it's, hmm. Yeah, it's a crying <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Ooh. But it feels like someone desperately trying to sort out all of her feelings, right? And I think the disconnect of the words... I think you intuited that in a way, Pat. Like I, I think I think you needed her to kind of go everywhere. Well, can I ask, why did she say yes to Jim Phelps when he came back in with
3: his golf clubs <laughs> and said, get ready to call me Santa Claus because the pitch is back on. You know, <laughs> she's just been down the docks. She got the worst news she's ever gotten. She's in the bar drinking, looking at pictures of Arthur and kind of like, it's time to give up. And then she has this ridiculous partner she's been stuck with. I want to talk about the relationship between Miranda and Jim, but he says, "Come on, let's go pitch." And she says, "Okay, why?" There's nothing
4: else to do because when you are at the end, and we don't know what that is for us, but in in this world, these people we know that there is an end, and it is happening, and it is fast. And she's a survivalist, so preparing for it is what Miranda does. And it's here. Oh shit. Okay this is not what I anticipated. Okay, you go with the most peculiar thing you possibly can. Okay, this is it. Fuck it. I'll go to it.
3: What is the relationship between Jim Phelps and, and Miranda in this episode? They, it's real. There's a real connection between them, right? And Tim Simons <laughs> is really incredible in the episode. And I think he's funny, but he's it's moving watching this friendship Man, start. I love that dude. There's so many moments, including in the boardroom when he stands up. We have about 10 Unbelievably funny things that Tim <laughs> said when he stands up and tries to take over, and we went with the best one, I think. But there's so m- it was just was such a crazy night of laughing and crying together. And Tim, talk about Jim <laughs> Phelps, please. <laughs>
6: so See,
4: that's it. Like it's the two. It's the it's the contrast. It's the contrariness of personalities and the moment converging. This super tall. Wonderful, like aerial quality of of Jim Phelps, right? And you know, I am the boat, right? And I am short. Aaron, see you now. And I am, am stern. Yes, here we go, baby. <laughs> I think that's the peculiarity of their relationship. And at first, I think she's just like, get this done so I can get back to Arthur. And when you realize there is no getting back to him, she Miranda feels crazy even thinking I'm I, I'm going to have to leave you. You know, I got to go. The world is ending. And Jim is like, no, here I'm going to go play some golf. It's like they're doing this dynamic thing between each other. Oh, he's like, yes, this is stupid. It's not a big deal. The world's fine. And Miranda's like, yes, the world is ending. I have to go do, we have to survive. And, and that's Jim and, and Miranda.
3: What's a hug in this language? What's a they, hug? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> fate, business and fate put them together. They undulated together. They pitched together, but they hug at the end of the episode too, which is almost- Because they're
4: two humans. They're so sweet and vulnerable. I love watching them walk together like, man, we just did some weird ass shit. We pitched and we're about to die. (laughs) Mm, Okay. You got people. You got people. Oh, we are the last thing that we have in this moment. It may be the most awkward looking ass hug possible, but we <laughs> need to be connected.
5: There's a big height difference between you guys.
4: <laughs> Isn't it? just a little? <laughs> it's
3: like uh, six, seven, and what Daniel? I don't know. There's a, it's a lot, a lot of space. There's a lean. A lean is required to get the the hug right. But here, I'm curious. Like that, it's such a moment that in a different show would be a joke. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and the frame, can you talk about just framing that up and just like what you were thinking about that moment emotionally?
5: Yeah. I mean, I think what I love about the Jim Phelps Miranda dynamic is Jim starts off kind of putting on airs and kind of posturing and being this dude, even when he, you know, says nothing's happening, he's going to go golfing. In my mind, he thinks the world is possibly ending, but just doesn't want to be the person who's scared. You know what I mean? Hmm. And so you're kind of watching this guy, his layers get peeled off little by little. And by the time he comes to Miranda and he's like pitches back on, I always read that as like, please say you'll do this thing so I don't have to be afraid. And to me, Miranda saying yes was like an act of kindness. You kind of get to watch him become like a vulnerable, real person by the end. And uh, eventually kind of meet eye to eye with Miranda, you know, Miranda, who just can't help but be who she is.
2: Mm -hmm. Can both you and Hiro talk a little bit about her backstory and how that informed her present moment? Because that's like a huge aspect of (laughs) of like the entire episode. And I'm curious on your perspective on how that kind of helped inform your performance and approach.
4: This is the most like collaborative backstory building I've ever had to do. The script wanted to go a lot of places to define her uh, initially. And as we were filming, things began to get chopped. But we understand that Miranda has been attached to... Arthur for a long time. She used to be, you know, want to name herself Infinity, right? Like all this stuff is behind. You you remember this, Patrick? I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) But that's good stuff though for you, right? It's super rich. And then when you nix it, you're like, I can still get to move with it. I still get to understand where we were trying to go. And it paints a much more crisper figure of who she is.
3: This show, when we were at our best went from real complicated to real simple mm. uh, when, when it was working right. And, and it happened late often, which was just a kind of crazy feeling. And I think an- another complicated thing would be, how do you tell a love story about an emotional hoarder who's a liar, who has some kind of incredible tragedy deep in her background that we're hiding, but we can feel it kind of burbling out when certain subjects come up. And someone who is on a mission to create a thing That she can't turn away from. And then she meets a man. How do we tell a love story without making the love story overwhelm the rest of Miranda? That was a challenge hero. And I would love to hear both of you talk about what Gael brought to the dynamic, how difficult and exciting it was to kind of like show these two different kinds of people meeting and connecting and then separating again in such, again, a really short amount of time. Mm. There's a lifetime between Gael and Danielle in this episode. And we had to be smooth, I think, in order to get it all and to make it feel real. Listen. I have to buy your work.
6: Do you have to buy
1: what? You're an artist, no?
6: I'm in
4: logistics.
1: Oh, cool. My... My friend is down the street and he's having a birthday party, and I didn't bring him anything. I haven't seen him in ages, and he thinks I'm a flake. I'm, I'm, I'm not a flake. So I need to bring him something, you know, a nice present. I don't know. I'm like, like, um, that, that space map.
5: Danielle, I'm curious how you felt, you know, reading the words on the page compared to the first day you were sitting in the same room with Gaelle.
4: The diner scene is the weirdest shit ever.
5: Uh, <laughs> it was so... Same more. <laughs> <laughs> he,
4: he walks by and he's like, yes, and comes back in and slyly, you know, tempts her or tempts himself and treats her like, like the best fucking snowflake in the world. And can totally see that there is so much chaos around her. That's what you want. Like, you don't see the madness of me? Or you do see the madness of me, and that still endears you to me? Oh, gosh. Come. I accept you. Ooh. You accept me. I accept you. Like, it's... it's. She needed that in that moment. Mm. One of your favorite
3: moments, Hero, you always say, is not just the banana being presented uh, out <laughs> on the street, but uh, how... Miranda bananas around it, goes back into that bar. Mm. (laughs) I would love to hear you just talk. It was so cold that night. It was so, we kind of didn't quite have the scene where we were like looking for one line or maybe you thought we had it and I thought we needed another line. And Gael was like, where am I right now? It's (laughs) negative 7,000 degrees. Get me heaters.
4: (laughs) I'm a tropical man. (laughs) Yeah, he
5: wasn't wasn't built for Chicago weather. (laughs) But I I think, I mean, to me, what was interesting about that scene is, you know, he's the pursuer, right? He's kind of chasing her down and trying to engage with her and trying to get a reaction out of her. And he kind of holds her in that moment. And then he just slips away you know he just sort of he just kind of disappears and i think in a way it pulls the rug from underneath miranda right she's kind of ready to pull her defenses up and kind of push him out but then he just sort of shrugs it off and just kind of walks away and so i I don't know it kind of like creates this little negative space like a little bit of a vacuum where that she's not used to and i think that's the thing that literally kind of sucks her into the the bar Gaël is just she, he has like a very like ephemeral sort of slippery quality as Arthur and and I loved watching that kind of bounce off of Danielle's sort of calculated method of presenting herself and her stoicism and her interiority that she has with Miranda The subject of your work is a person not
1: a spaceman He's alone, not unhappy, adrift, a bit exhausted. But his heart is warmer and lighter than they realize. Because he wears a suit for protection.
2: I'm really curious to hear from y'all because this is such an unconventional approach to a love story. What are some of y'all's favorite unconventional cinematic love stories, and were you guys pulling from anything or had anything in mind crafting this story between Arthur and Miranda?
5: How do I say this? I'm (laughs) not good at movies where people are, like, overtly uh, communicative about their emotions. I think it has something to do with my Japanese upbringing. I'm always moved by movies about people who don't pronounce their love. And it's like the holding of that emotion, you know, like in the mood for love or something. Yeah, Uh, But this ain't that, you know (laughs) what I mean? And so I was trying to get to the bottom of like what that wanted to feel like. And, Mm. you know, what's a really romantic movie to me that I I love is Punch Drunk Love. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good one. It's like it gets to the raw feeling of being in love but in a very clumsy, like, uh, haphazard way. And so, I don't know. I think those would be kind of touchstones or references for me. But I I don't know. I mean, I'm actually curious, Pat, like, what what were you thinking? Like, what did you want this love story to feel like?
3: Well, I was worried that it would dominate the art story. I really like the idea, because this is my experience in life, too, where you, like, if you self-identify as an artist and you're in love with someone there's a tension between those two things. It's <laughs> it's not quite an affair you're having, but it feels like each side is mad at you for the time you're spending with the other mm-hmm. thing you love, <laughs> whether it's a person or a made up uh, world. And, you know, a fight I've had with my wife several times resembles the fight Gael and uh, Danielle have in the bedroom when he says, even when you're here, you're not here. Despite all the things going on in the end of the world and the other storylines, I think I want to just to make sure we told that story, that Miranda's not a robot or alien on a mission to create Station Eleven. She's a human being who lost everything when she was a little girl and traumatized so substantially that this is what she's found to be okay, this balance. I wanted to be able to tell a story about a person who loved and was dedicated to making a thing and loved and was dedicated to a human being, but had to go on this timeline you know, it makes me think of the Leon scene, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if the timelines had matched up different, it would have been OK. It's kind of like ordinary people. If that just hadn't happened, our marriage would have been OK. But it did and it wasn't. And so, like, they fell in love at the wrong time. But then I'm like, no, they fell in love at the right time. You know, like, she needed that. And she needed to burn it down. And he needed that. And he needed to get left. And so it's sort of like time didn't matter in this one. But it took the episode to get to it that's a lot my answer just now but i think like that that's the only kind of love story that made sense to me is one that felt like a near miss but not a near miss and like time stops mattering cuz love is a kind of a love is like light it's like it doesn't play by the rules of normal shit it ignores time mm.
2: mm-hmm. very interesting
3: end podcast <laughs> 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 oh boy! <laughs> actually, I was also going to say I really like Fargo. <laughs> By the way, the love story <laughs> that's in Fargo, the, in the background mm, mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. with, uh, Francis McDormand's husband painting stamps with like the gender yeah, yeah, yeah. roles just different. That was going to be my answer, and then you asked it in a way that made me talk forever. Hero. All right.
2: You know, I kind of actually wanted to go back to something you guys were mentioning about the writing of the monologue in the boardroom. And just sort of the swerves that Miranda is taking and we're watching her take, I think is actually going to really resonate for people. Partially because I think that's what we're all kind of going through now. These like dramatic emotional swerves and we're trying to make sense of things. And I think it will be interesting for people to hear like that production started on this show before the pandemic was in full swing. Yet this episode is so good at really capturing what we're all living through right now. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about shooting before the pandemic and how the pandemic itself may have shifted your own thoughts on the character, on the story from both you, Danielle, and Hero. Oh,
4: man. I had full intentions of my son to come visit. I was like, oh, come see in Chicago. And then you're reading the news. What is going on? I heard about the gentleman who died in the Philippines. And I'm on the train in Chicago. And I'm like, I saw somebody sharing a piece of cake. The way they were eating it, they were just so exposed. I just thought germs, germs, germs. And so all through this time, I'm like, all of that was hitting me in the moment. Because Gael will tell you, because I was like, it's about to be a real thing. It, it, it is a thing now. It's just not swept us. And so I was deeply entrenched in that. I'm like, no, son, you're not coming anymore. And, Daniel, and you
5: never told me this while, while we were shooting. No, no. I was focused. <laughs> Dang. At the time, I you know, I remember we shot episode one and three at the back to you know back to back and we were shooting a big hospital scene where people had like snot running down their face. And and we remember talking like with the crew, like, you, you, you heard about this corona thing? It's like, and people were making jokes, you know, because like there's 300 extras with like, you know, prosthetic snot running down their faces and, and just like casually having conversation. It was just such a weird vibe, you know, it's just, it's where like the show and reality was kind of converging, but we weren't quite ready to accept it. I don't know. There's an interaction between these two episodes and our real pandemic that's like very, I can't articulate it. It's very strange for me to wrap my head around. It just feels like it could have been this sort of, you know, peripheral news item that just kind of passed us by. But it instead became, you know, all-consuming realities that we're all living in. There's something emotional about remembering this, too, because
3: the other night I remember is the McCormick Center. I was flying on a plane the next day to go back to LA and our prop guy was like, take these masks. And I was like, what? Mm. And he was like, for the plane, I thought there were props for the extras. And he was like, you should wear it for that thing. And I was like, what thing? And he's like, like, you know, there, it's that virus. And I was like, that's not real, man. I don't need that. It just, it was too hard to hold it and work. It was just like those weeks when we were doing post because Hero and I were in post our last day of post was March 13th, mm-hmm. and we were finishing up our work. And, and then Hero's producing partner, Nate, one of our EPs, walked in at about 7 p.m., and the look on his face, he was like, you guys got to go. We knew what was happening, but it was like, we're in here making our thing. And he looked scared, and like he was like, you guys, come on, you got to go. Uh, we got to go home. We said goodbye in the parking garage, Hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that was the yeah. last time. No, you're right. We were doing a thing before shit changed.
2: Yeah. Well, I think this note about the surreal and community and connection is a good note to end on with Hero. So I wanted to formally say thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. I'm such a huge fan of your work, so I was super excited to just... Get to hear your perspective, so thank you so much. This was really awesome!
5: Thank you guys. I mean, this is the longest I've talked to Pat in a while, too. <laughs> I miss you, man.
2: And I'm always excited to see what Danielle is doing next because I honestly think she's a super exciting actor. And I can say that because I'm a critic, so people pay me for my opinion. <laughs> Critics are care. So it was great speaking with you as well. This was like really awesome digging into this very fascinating, beautiful, and at times very heart-wrenching episode.
5: Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Great seeing you, Danielle.
4: Yeah, I love you, babies.
5: Love you, Danielle. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for saving the show.
4: (laughs)
3: I love both those people. I really, really love both those people. What was your favorite part of that conversation? There was a lot. We kind of drifted all around there.
2: Yeah, we got into some nitty gritty acting process questions, which as someone who loves to write about acting as a critic, hearing Danielle get into her own process and especially her reading the Neruda poem was like a really good moment for me. I was like, damn, that's right. People do still read poetry, not just us writers. Isn't that lovely?
3: Can I tell you a tiny little story about that first week, which was so hard? I think that was day three. The show was tumultuous and in flux and exciting and amazing. And Chicago was cold. And I think we got our first day off. And I was sleeping two hours a night. And I finally had a window to go have lunch with someone outside production, just do something else. And I drove downtown. And there was this weird location. And I parked in the snow in this awful little side street. And I had to walk like a half mile to the restaurant. And I got out of my car, and I just was, like, shaking my head about where I was at. (laughs) And I looked up, and someone in a bright red jacket with a big smile on her face was standing right in front of me, and it was Danielle. And she said, hey. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm walking. What are you doing here? (laughs) And she came and gave me a big hug. And for some reason, in all of Chicago, on the one day, we didn't have a plan to meet and go make a thing we just ran right into each other in the middle of the white snow she was like one red winterberry that was like a a special and strange moment that i i knew that making the show was different
2: that's really beautiful patrick
3: i'm so glad we got to hear from both of them
2: i'm glad too this was a really awesome conversation Thanks so much for listening, y'all. We'll be back next week discussing episode four of Station Eleven, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Aren't Dead. Station Eleven, the podcast, is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by Patrick Somerville and me, Angelica Jade Bastien. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. with special thanks to Ethan Fixell. Our engineer extraordinaire is James Foster. This episode was written and researched by Kate Voss.
3: If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed Station Eleven, the podcast, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to watch new episodes of Station Eleven on HBO Max.